Welcome to the Innovation Overground, the front porch of academic innovation, where we find the coolest university technologies so you don't have to. We want to add to the volume of some of those innovations and hopefully help them become actual things that people can use. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. I'm joined by Tyler Scher, PhD science wizard, and he's coming to us from the Antarctic Seed Bank and the, I think it's Ice Station Zebra. How's it going down there? I guess your internet's a little spotty. It is a little spotty. Thank you, Charlie. It's, it's cold. Um, I don't I don't know exactly how I found myself here, but I, I'm here, and I'm glad to be a part of the podcast still. Well, we're, we're all still kind of winging it during the pandemic, so I hope the listeners forgive us for if, if our voices drop in and out from time to time. Also with us is Joe Rungi, Dr. Law Dog, Entrepreneur Werewolf, and definitely not in the Antarctic with his super sweet style and stash. How's it going, Joe? Uh, super duper, Charlie. How are you? I'm a little well, hydrated, uh, rested. I'm a little damp from, from being in the hot and sweatiness in the, out in the Got world. Yeah. And that's what we do on Innovation Overground. It's yeah. not just the sounds. We, we're a multi-sensorial experience. If you like that experience, tell us about it. Leave us a review. <laughs> Give us some stars. Tell a friend. Uh, promote us on all them social medias. Because academic innovation is more necessary now than ever before, and yes. we can help with that. Yes, that's very true. The more you help us spread the word, the more we can uh, help some of these technologies uh, find the further support and development they need, especially in a, in a pandemic when we probably know, well, we definitely uh, don't know. I'm not, what am I trying to say here? The volumes that we don't know about COVID is, is quite remarkable. I mean, Tyler, can you... How much do we still can we can we put our hands around how much is still unknown about this thing and what we can do about it? I mean, I know we got people kind of they're starting to open up a little bit in the country. They're starting to go back to work. They're starting to open up uh, businesses. I mean, can we even say scientifically whether or not that's a good idea? Do we even know that much, really? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I think there's a few things you know as we were discussing. Uh, I think there's a few things that we can say with certainty. Um, I mean, you know, unfortunately, most of the key metrics we're using to make these decisions are are not. Uh, I mean, they're you know they're they're uh, not super fine. I mean, we have you know kind of gross metrics like like fatality, for example. I mean, we can say with with some pretty good clarity that you know the older you are, the and and the more. Um, uh, the, the, the more likely you are to have um, an, an adverse outcome of a, of a COVID infection, at least in the short term. But like you said, like you alluded to, Charlie, we don't know a whole lot about, for example, you know, even if you're asymptomatic, we don't know a whole lot about how long the virus can linger inside of you um, and what sort of effects it may have on you later on in your life. We just, there's a lot that's unknown. I mean, it's still unknown in an absolute sense whether or not immunity comes after you recover from an infection, right? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. still don't know um, if you, get COVID you can again. have any meaningful immunity. And if you can, how long that lasts? Yeah. Okay, there you go. So that's got to make finding a vaccine. And maybe, maybe we should do some vaccines on a different episode. But, I mean, how long – I mean, how much of, of not understanding the full biology of this virus, how much does that impact – everything else we're trying to do and, and trying to fight it. 
Well, it's, it's absolutely crucial. I mean, you know, for example, as, as more and more research is being done on exactly how the virus attacks our cells, um, you know, the uh, clinical uh, therapy can, can catch up, right? So, I mean, a lot of it's just, it, it, is, it is an art, you know, medicine's an art, and we're still just trying to catch up. We're just taking as guesses, but, you know, um, so, you know, what, one example was uh, more recently, there's been a, a number of reports of, of uh, trying, to, trying to find an explanation for how people can have um, depressed oxygenation and um, low oxygen and having a hard time breathing, but you do scans of their lungs and their lungs don't look that bad. And so one example, um, there seems to be some evidence and more research needs to be done, certainly, but that the virus is able to interfere with, with hemoglobin. So interfere with red blood cells' ability to carry oxygen, actually oxygenate oh. the body, right? So, so I thought it had so something to do with that. that's just one little example. And, okay. you know, all this research is being done in real time. Well, that's interesting. I thought it's something. I thought it was about having fluid in the lungs, but it's that's not apparently the case, or at least is it? Is it? both not not yeah both not that's crazy. always the case so, so yeah so you can certainly have the classic pneumonia symptoms of of where, where you have yeah where you have this this buildup of um you know of white blood cells um and, vi and viral infection in the lungs uh and then you have this kind of cytokine storm right you start to have you know blood cells that are being recruited more and more to the lungs that die by viral infection um, and then that starts to lead to, uh, you know, you have, you have leaky uh, vessels that starts to lead to fluid buildup and pus and mucus buildup in the lungs that presents this classic pneumonia, right? So you can have that. You can certainly have really bad looking scarred lungs tissue as well. Um, I think I, I remember reading about a, um, like, a, you know, people who are candidates for almost lung transplants here from having coronavirus or COVID infection. So yeah, you can have all that, but then there's other people who just have, uh, who have lungs that don't look bad, but for whatever reason, you know, still have low oxygen content. So they're shallow breaths and having a hard time catching their breath. And so that seems to be in, uh, due to interfering with red blood cells ability to carry oxygen through the, through the, through your body. Holy okay. Cow. So we don't know what the immune status is after you have the disease. We don't know exactly how it is impairing the ability of the body to absorb oxygen. What else don't we know? We don't know exactly what other tissues that the, that the virus can infect. I mean, we, there's again, you know, anecdotal evidence, you know, isolated incidences or cases now, and more and more are being collected every day, right? But of, of you know, viral infections, there seems to be evidence of the virus in, in, in patients' brains or in kidneys, um, you know, throughout the body. So we don't know all the organs it can impact yet. It can certainly impact the heart as well. Um, also don't know how long the virus, how long it can, it can hang out. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of viruses that can be latent, basically. HIV, for example, can sort of hang out forever, right? Um, so we really don't know how long the virus can hang out. We don't know if it can then reactivate and cause a new infection later on. Um, we, we don't know what the long-term effects are. So even even people who are asymptomatic, yeah. Sorry you, sorry, you said hang out. You mean like just live inside your body doing no damage, just kind of hiding as it were? 
and before it becomes active and then causes problems? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, there's a lot of viruses that can do that, um, and and we don't know if if coronavirus can can do that yet or not. Um, then, as Joe said, you know, in terms of immunity, uh, I mean, there's still an open-ended question over whether or not um, you, your body can build up some sort of meaningful immunity, if you can build up an antibody response um, and have long-term immunity. And then we don't even know exactly what that means. So maybe if we do get a successful vaccine, we hope we talk about it again, because um, there's a lot of um, exciting research being done in progress, being made in vaccines. But even if we do get a, a successful vaccine, we don't know how frequently people would have to take it. Would you have to re-up again every six months? Would it be every six years? We don't know. So you're starting to depress me a little bit. Do you have any good news? <laughs> I mean, it seems like all we really can say is we don't know anything. One of the things that I, I'm always curious about is, and I don't know how you measure it, but my take has generally been that coronavirus is very, very serious in some people. It's not very serious in a lot of people, but it is infectious, right? And Tyler, you were telling me uh, results from like New York State or New York City where there have been a really bad hot, hot spot. And, you know, what, what is the full range of people that had had the disease, whether or not the current antibody evaluative tests are actually relevant to be able to figure out if it can find all the people who'd had it, stuff like that. But like, I guess my bigger question is, I still think about this, you know, every time I'm, I'm in the grocery store or I don't know, any place where social distancing is something you start thinking about, just how infectious is the disease? And like, how do you determine that? Do you have to do like laboratory tests to see how long the virus lives on a surface in like different temperatures and different like, error environments like what would that process be like as a bona fide microbiologist yeah that's a good question um yeah i mean you can look at how quickly they can it can replicate uh and, and we're talking about infectious sure you could you could look at so how the virus spreads i mean we i think we have a pretty good feel that this isn't exactly aerosolized but it's sort of you know like really tiny droplets uh, in, in the air that can suspend yeah, in the sure. air for, for, you know, for a period of time, right? So you can measure all of that. So, that means um, so for example, you can do some, air, some pretty gross measuring. Man, that was a train. Um, so the, the, it's not that you get sick from breathing the particles while they're in the air, but when I'm talking and I have an infection, I spray particles all over surfaces and then someone touches the surface and then they, you know, touch their face, and that's how they get the disease. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I, I'd have to look back into the literature on the staying power, the viability on surfaces. I know, I think initially we were, um, I think we were being a little more cautious for good reason. Uh, from what I had seen the last month or so, it doesn't seem to be able to live or persist on surfaces quite as long as we had initially thought. But I have to go back and revisit that. There I, you I know, go. Uh, I'm pretty confident now in the literature on, yeah, there we go, Charlie. I'm also pretty confident in, in, in the literature on uh, things like um, hum, uh, um, temperature and, and UV light to be able to, to kill it. So, so for example, you know, I, I think playgrounds are probably safer than we think. Um, 
uh, especially in the summertime um, with the high temperatures in the UV, right? Uh, what was I going to add to that? I have been um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Every time I walk by it. So now I know I can. Tyler said it's safe. So, well, I'm not saying it's safe. I think <laughs> oh, you did it. I don't safe. want to be on record. I think it's, I mean, me, me personally, I would let my kids go back on a playground um, in the middle of summer. I'm okay with that. So, yeah. but everyone should make that choice for themselves, I guess. But I mean, I'll echo what a lot of, you know, clinicians and, you know, chancellor and a lot of, a lot of our leaders have been saying um, in, in the medical field lately, especially wear a mask. We should definitely be wearing masks. Um, you definitely don't want to be spreading this. If you have it in a mask, I think is a good way to prevent, especially in, you know, in a closed area with poor airflow or air circulation. I think that's at least a good, um, it's, it's a reasonable way to protect yourself and others. And it isn't all that um, tedious or cumbersome, right? It's not all that difficult. So is that, is that if we go for a walk in the park, wear the mask, or are you talking about like in an enclosed, like in, a, in, in a, like at the grocery store at work, that type of environment? Yeah, I think, I think the research seems to indicate that it's definitely more important in an enclosed environment inside. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think outside, especially if there's a little bit of a breeze and if it's a nice hot sunny day, I don't think it's going to be nearly as problematic. Okay. So I got one more question for you, Tyler. I don't know if you saw it. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about this beforehand, um, but today it's the, um, what is today's date? The 15th, June 15th? 16th. 16th. Sorry. I'm going to get a calendar tomorrow. Um, anyway, they announced today. Uh, there's, a nature, this on the yeah, there's, the, there's an article in Nature that they found that um, dexamethasone was quite effective as a treatment. It's a, I guess it's a common steroid. It's Yeah. Yeah, I saw happened. that. Did you see it? Okay, is that? Yeah. Did, what was your takeaway from that? If you if you had a chance yeah. to look at it. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. So so thanks for circling back to that. That Charlie I forgot. So the, you know, with your when you brought up, um, you know, the kind of the classic pneumonia like symptoms where you have all that activity going on in the lungs, where your your you know your white blood cells are are literally doing battle with with the virus, um, that can lead to a, a, what's, what's called, what's been termed a cytokine storm, right? So you just have a whole lot of crazy inflammation going on and that steroid, uh, that, so that, so if that's the case, that that's the hypothesis that a lot of, uh, a lot of is the result of cytokine storm, then it would make sense that the steroid would come in as an anti-inflammatory and dampen all of that. So this is a case where, um, as is the case with a lot of diseases and a lot of pathogens, your immune system can get just so amped up that it actually ends up doing more collateral damage than good and um, can eventually ultimately kill you. Um, and so that's where the steroid comes in and just kind of dampens everything for a little while, mm. kind of like a fire extinguisher putting out your immune system's fire. Yeah, so for the listeners, I, I, if I remember the article correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but seemed like, so to go back to the remdesivir trial that was a few weeks back, they found that that increased the recovery time but didn't necessarily um, improve the, the death rate. However, the um, uh, dexamethasone, I think, improved the death rate by about 30%, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. So, and so that, that goes right, right in line with, with the theory of a lot of fatality being caused by cytokine storm. Yeah, okay. yep. 
So that was a little bit of good news today. And, and also, unfortunately, sadly, kind of, yeah, that's great. And sadly kind of goes in line, too, with a lot of patients who, instead of being treated with a steroid earlier on, were, you know, at that point, they were being put on ventilators. And the ventilator um, would not alleviate that situation, unfortunately. So, um, um, yeah. Okay, so still a lot to learn, I guess. I think at the, I think it's about time we put a pin in this one and um, come back to ground. So we will make sure to include a comprehensive reading list of all the things that we don't know and the basis upon which we do not know them. Uh, please make sure to check that in the program notes this week. Yes, I also want to thank our sponsors, Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office, the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and Unitech, the university's startup accelerator, incubator, business juggernaut thing that Joe... Love it. <laughs> that I meant Joe... it's not a love right now. <laughs> right. All right. So for Tyler Sharon, Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie Litton saying thank you, and please join us every Monday at, you know, on Unimed's Innovation Overground.